welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. Hey, it's James Day. What do you say? Recording live from the podcast studios located here in Media, Pennsylvania. Today we have Dr. Paul Atkinson as uh, our honored guest. And today, uh, Dr. Atkinson is a professor in emergency medicine in Dalhousie University in St. John Regional Hospital, New Brunswick, Canada. He is the current chair of the Provincial Emergency Medicine Research Committee. Paul is also a deputy editor of CJEM, medical officer at WorkSafe New Brunswick, and is currently vice president for ultrasound research for the International Federation for Emergency Medicine. He is co-director of the Emergency Critical Care Ultrasound course. His international training included Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney, Australia, and Cambridge University Hospitals in the UK. He is also the principal investigator and chair of the SHOC Ultrasound Research Network. He has over 80 peer-reviewed publications, as well as being the lead editor on two textbooks, Emergency Medicine, an Illustrated Color Text, back in 2010, and Point of Care Ultrasound and Emergency Medicine and Resuscitation, 2019. Awards include the inaugural Best in Class Undergraduate Teaching Award from Dalhousie University in 2012, and the National Grant Inns Award for Emergency Medicine Research in 2015. Also, the Ian Steele Research of the Year Award from the Canadian Association of Emergency Medicines in 2019. Currently, research interests include POCUS in critical illness, occupational stress injuries, medical education, trauma systems and prevention, as well as quality in medicine. Paul also enjoys cycling and hiking in the wide open spaces of New Brunswick, Canada. Paul, how are you today? I'm great, James. Uh, thank you. Enjoying the, the summer here in beautiful New Brunswick in Maritime Canada. And uh, how are things in Pennsylvania? Well, it's been pretty blistering. Uh, you know, it's uh, we're in the 90s, which is, this is the hottest week of the year here, but uh, it's pretty hot this year. So people are making their adjustments. Well, there you go. If you need to cool down a little bit, get it down into the lower 80s, sunshine, love to swimming, <laughs> come up and see us. <laughs> Actually, uh, that's that's a plan. I have a whole family camp camping trip uh, planned around June up there to the Maritimes, uh, so we can see, you know, the icebergs float down early June. So we, I'm looking forward to that. There you go. Excellent. Yeah. So I met you at the uh, CAEP by the ocean in Halifax around May 26th, um, which was at the Halifax Convention Center. That's right. Uh, so Cape 2019. Uh, it was a fantastic conference. We were we were pleased here to host that national conference. Uh, it, it sort of it goes around the country. We try to find relatively attractive uh, locations. So we, Halifax wasn't wasn't bad at all. It's right on the ocean. Lovely city. Great restaurants. Friendly people. So thank you for coming up to that. And uh, hopefully you you enjoyed some of the content there. And uh, I know we bumped into each other during the the Pocus track. So. Uh, I think that was quite a fun track. Uh, if you're for, for those obviously who weren't there, we, we set it up as a debate. Uh, so we had a, we had the, the great debate uh, for for people arguing 
not against POCUS, but perhaps that we needed a little more evidence for POCUS. And then we had the other side arguing back that we were, we're pretty much there and that we, we've, we've got a large cohort of studies backing up what we do. So I, I don't know, James, what did you think? Did you enjoy that? I, I really enjoyed it. You know, and it, the, one of the things I liked was the catchphrase, seize the day, S-E-A-S. It was by the ocean. It's a beautiful city. Um, I learned about the Great Explosion, which seems to be uh, a big deal in Halifax. Uh, one of the uh, ships blew up in the harbor right around the turn of the century. Yeah. Also, there was the... Uh, Junior Hockey Championship. That's right. Happening at the same time, and I could not tell the difference between the emergency physicians and the rowdy hockey fans. It was hard to tell go. you guys apart, man. <laughs> so uh. <laughs> that's a compliment, I guess. <laughs> it was a great venue and a very historical city. Um, the other thing I enjoyed, as I recall, I don't know. I think I talked to you. or You were there moderating. It was the Olympics. The medical students had a Pocus Olympics, different stations, and we um, did. We did. Yeah, um, that was the, great. Yeah. So the um, the, the Sono Games, uh, we called it. And That's it, right. You're absolutely right. And um, I think all a lot of the big conferences are doing that now. I know certainly um, FAEM had a had a national championship for um for the states and this was the the equivalent for canada i am of course proud to to tell your listeners that dalhousie university based here in uh on the east coast uh were champions this year and uh <laughs> but it's fantastic because it's 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 really educational as well as entertaining and i think people learn a lot just from uh from being there uh so it was packed out it was exciting um yeah glad you enjoyed that yeah you know my favorite station was the uh, blindfolded sonographer, the, the medical student who was scanning, <laughs> and the guy was looking at the image and telling him, well, shouting and frantically, because it was timed, trying to tell him to, you know, go lateral, go medial, <laughs> press down more. <laughs> that was great. I guess um, sonography is often performed in the dark. That's kind of taking it to extremes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I know you're also uh, very into as your, your bio, and uh, I'll have, we'll have to elaborate. We had a whole lot of acronyms and stuff, just uh, just for people listening. If you don't know, um, since this is a global podcast, IFEM is the Federation for Emergency Medicine. So tell us what CJEM is. That uh, what does that stand for? So that is uh, the Canadian Journal for Emergency Medicine. So that's a general. That's the uh, you know, it's actually, I think now, the number five emergency medicine journal in the world that comes in just uh, behind annals, essay, and might even be number four, actually. Well, anyway, it's not about numbers. It's, it's, a, it's a good journal. We, uh, we've actually had a few issues recently focusing on POCUS to, to, to steal your tagline. And um, it's been fantastic. In fact, if you go to the the most read papers on Canadian Journal of Emergency Medicine at the moment, mm-hmm. two of the top five are ultrasound papers, which is really exciting. It shows that we're getting, um, we're getting good engagement with the community. And uh, so I'm, I'm really proud. So yeah, deputy editor there along with uh, uh, Eddie Lang, Ian Steele, uh, you may have heard of, who's the, the, the author of many things such as the Ottawa Ankle Rules and many more. Oh, that's right. He's the, He's the editor-in-chief. So we're, we're really trying to take that journal forward, and we would encourage listeners, if you have, um, you know, if, you, if you're a researcher in point-of-care ultrasound, if you're an educator in point-of-care ultrasound, check out that journal. 
lots of good resources there, but also feel, you know, please submit your papers to us. Uh, we, we are after really cutting research and educational material um, in all areas of emergency medicine, um, but we certainly welcome point-of-care ultrasound submissions. Okay, you guys heard it out there. Get those papers submitted. That sounds uh, great. We always need content in uh, all the journals here. So speaking of content, uh, you, you did something very epic. Uh, anybody who's ever attempted to write a book or pull something together or edit uh, a textbook in this day and age, you, tell us about your new textbook, the, the Point of Care Ultrasound and Emergency Medicine and Resuscitation from the, um, I think it was the Oxford University Press? That's correct, yeah. So it's part of the Oxford Clinical Imaging Guide. Mm-hmm. So a little background to this. You might, you, I mean, I guess you might say in this day and age where 2019, why do we need another textbook whenever all material seems to be available online? Um, Well, aside from the fact that there's still a few of us who are uh, middle-aged or beyond, and um, (laughs) I hate to admit that, I guess I'm middle-aged, and, um, you know, it's still nice to be able to pick up a textbook, flick through it, go to the uh, index, find some, some key areas. I think more than that, I think it's still a great way to bring together uh, material uh, for learners uh, as a resource for for courses uh, to to supplement curricula that are out there, and so that's the background to this book. It it it, um, it really was about five years in the making. It, it does take some time. I, I I don't I won't argue with you there, and it takes a, a good group of people. So yeah, sure, my name's first on this, and I guess I'm the lead editor, but it it certainly is a group effort. Um, we have some great international editors and authors representing every continent on the on the planet. This is an international book. We have of the key editors, we have two of us from North America, and myself and David Lewis. We have two from Europe in the UK, Tim Harris and Bob mm-hmm. Garman. And then we have Justin Bauer from uh, Down Under from based in Sydney, Australia. But if you go, if you actually look through the author list, we have people from all over, uh, lots of people from the states, uh, people from Europe, uh, some from Africa and Asia. So it it really is a, an international book, and we wanted to, uh, and that, again going back to the origins of this, we based this around some work that um, really was started through this International Federation for Emergency Medicine. Um, if you if you go back a little bit, the the big um, I guess the big English-speaking countries um, that had that were really leaders in emergency medicine, um, the States, Canada, the UK, and Australia founded this uh, federation. It's been going for quite a t- quite some time now, but they formed an ultrasound interest group mm-hmm. back about, I suppose, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And a group of us who we, we really tried to, it's there to support developing countries uh, countries that perhaps don't have an ASEP, countries that don't have a Royal College, um, and therefore we, we got together and we wrote a curriculum guideline, which anyone can go online, it's free, you can go on there and find the international curriculum for, for point-of-care ultrasound published by IFM. It's also published, um, a summary of it is published in the, the CGEM, the, the Canadian Journal as well, but it's, it's, right. it's an international. So that the group of people who basically got together for that some of us then decided, well, we need to support that curriculum with some teaching material. And as we were getting that together, we realized, well, look, this is, uh, this is great material. It's up to date. And we, we, we wanted it to be evidence-based. 
So the approach to this book is that it's not just here's our opinion, Mm -hmm. but we make it evidence-based. We acknowledge where we need more evidence. We acknowledge where you have to be careful in applying point of care ultrasound, but we also highlight all the great areas where point of care ultrasound really does make a difference for patients and, and their care. So yeah, no, it's so it's it's to supplement. It's not officially sponsored by by anyone. It's just the group of us who were involved writing that curriculum uh, got together, looked at the evidence, and we tried to summarize it. We broke it down as well into core and enhanced. So if, if you know, that's what I wanted to say right there. I I have it in my hand, and that's what's really neat about this. It uh, it outlines core and advanced applications in each chapter, which is great. Yeah. So that's the idea that, you know, you want to go through this, you've never picked up a probe before. We start off basically with why you might want to do it, a little bit of history. You know, my, my wife's a, got a master's in history, so she always <laughs> says every good book should start with, with a little background in history. So that's in there. Oh, nice. Um, and then we move into just the basics of, you know, how do you hold a probe? What do all the terms mean? Just break it right down. If you've never heard about this, you know, what does it mean to to sweep, to slide, to rock a probe. And we try to use terminology. We, we, you know, we, we don't just stick to one approach. So, you know, you might go to, to Canada and everybody talks about sweeping, sliding. You might go to the States and mm-hmm. might talk about rocking. So we just try and give you a little table to break down all those terms. We acknowledge there's different conventions, but we try to recommend an approach that makes sense for beginners. We talk a little bit about training, governance, credentialing, all of those things that I know you cover as well. And we acknowledge there's different ways to do that. But we, we talk about the importance of doing this properly, right? That you don't just pick up a probe and go out there and make, you know, you'll make mistakes, but you want to do it at least in a structured way with some feedback and some supervision. And uh, ideally yeah. with some, some degree of, of oversight, whether that's credentialing, certification, that will depend on where you are. Um, and yeah, as you say, each chapter we, we go through the key topics, you know, we start with the heart, we move on down through through the body. Um, you, know, you know what I like, just to, I don't want to break your stride here, but I no, did. No, go for it. Yeah, yeah, it's a chat. It's not a, it's not a monologue by Paul, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I heard you flipping through pages there, I'm not sure, and I heard your dog in the background, which, what kind of dog you... He's a, it's, it's Coda, he's a black lab, he... Uh, He's particularly interested in ultrasound. That's why he's, he's barking. <laughs> so the nice thing about the book here, you know, as I flip through it, is it's, it's extensively illustrated. Uh, and there's also, a, uh, it comes with an online access to roughly about 160 ultrasound clips and uh, yeah. a lot of annotated images, which is really cool. So you, you're sort of, you know, it's nice to have a book to go to the beach and have sort of a reference Book. I'm a book guy. You know, I'm 58 years old. I'm between two worlds there. But it's also nice to go online and see some ultrasound clips. So you've got it covered. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think my dog, again, is agreeing with you there in the background. <laughs> but um, the, the, the whole book's available online. So it's not just that you can uh, get those extra clips. You can. You can get the, the video clips, the images, um, the reference links. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go read the, the material, those are so there's a whole section of, of recommended reading. I think it runs to to uh, hundreds of, of references that are available if people want to go back and look at the evidence. But but I think you're right. I think having the videos there, you know, that you can use those for educational material uh, comes with the book. You can use those for whatever you want. You know, download them, use them in your in your talks, put them in your PowerPoints, your keynotes. And um, the images, yeah, please take those, use them um, for obviously 
for republication, we need permission for that. But just for using them for education, that's what they're there for. Right. Um, yeah, and the whole the, the the book is downloadable in PDFs by chapter. So again, that can be really good if you're running a a teaching session on the abdomen. You want to download the PDF that covers the abdomen, covers so you'll have all the references. You'll have the basic core teaching material and a little bit more advanced. You know, so we're hoping that this will be a great resource for people who are uh, teaching locally and maybe don't haven't had the time to put together their own resources. Um, and, and who knows, maybe even uh, some of the bigger teaching courses will, will recommend this book for, for their learners. We hope so. Yeah, it might be like in sonography, as famous as the Harvey Fagenbaum book, which everybody, every sonographer seems to have. So, you know, I, you know, something you touched on that I remember at the convention that I really liked was the um, kind of it was like the shootout at the OK Cor- or the shootout at Halifax. That's what that was. It was uh, <laughs> it was um, evidence based pocus. I mean, that's actually yes, this does work and this is proven. And here's the statistics. Can you just briefly go over that? You know, I remember that was really cool because you kind of touch on this. You do this a little bit in your book, too. Yeah, we do. So I'm a firm believer in evidence-based medicine, but I also, um, being a researcher, I'm very aware of the limitations of the research uh, and the papers Mm -hmm. that go to constitute that evidence that we base practice on. So yes, like it's, I mean, I don't know that in any one point in history, you can say we've, we've, we've worked it all out, right? And we're still early on with point of care ultrasound. So I think to either make claims that that this is the technology that is going to save lives in every condition or to go to the other extreme and say that this is a, a useless tool with, with no evidence behind it. Both those mm-hmm. extreme positions are clearly wrong. So we try to, we, but, but we try to use the debate um, format to, to really get into, well, where do we have good evidence and where do we need more research? And, and really, we started to focus in around some key things like cardiac arrest, uh, like hypotension and shock. We also looked um, perhaps at, at some other more more recent developments in the, in the POCUS world. So looking at abscess mm-hmm. drainage and whether it's really successful there. So right. yeah, we had four na- national level speakers each present uh, a paper and we broke it down, did a little bit of a journal club live. And then we had the debate, do we need more research and what type of research do we need? So here's where I wouldn't mind throwing something out for your audience to think about. In most other areas of medicine, we like to have comparative studies. We like to compare uh-huh. on a control study. We want to say, okay, you so you throw ultrasound into the mix, not just is it good, but is it better than when you don't, or when you compare it to some other tool, whether that's a, an X-ray, whether that's a, an MRI, when it, whether that's just clinical mm-hmm. examination. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really important area for us to focus on, is what's the, the level of evidence for this? Is it, is it a control trial? Is it uh, expert opinion? Have we just got lots of uh, database studies and case series that we're, we're trying to infer benefit from? I think that's really important. I am a proponent of point of care ultrasound. Of course I am. I've written a book about it. I teach it, direct right. a course on it. But I also want to be seen as a scientist. I don't want to be making false claims that 10 years down the road, somebody will pull this book apart and say, well, that was nonsense. So yeah, we're, <laughs> we, 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 we try to be a little more nuanced in, in the claims we make. Having said that, it's fun and it's educational. 
So not every tool in medicine has to save lives. You know, I, I don't think that every single test we do or every tool we have that we use saves lives every time we use it, but it can really help the experience for patients. It can help the experience for the, the clinician, uh, give them more confidence in their diagnosis, more confidence in their treatment. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole balance of this debate. It's right. Do, you know, what's the, per, what, what's the outcome? What are the things we're trying to achieve by the research? And so I, I thought we had a great discussion there. And I think we, we also outline that in this book and we go through and we'll talk about whether there's true evidence of life-saving or prediction of outcome for cardiac arrest, same in shock. And then we would, you know, we're not looking at life-saving claims when we get into things like MSK ultrasound, but we're certainly looking at whether or not it is as accurate maybe as an X-ray for uh, fractures, whether it's um, what benefits it adds to clinical examination for for soft tissue injuries, et cetera. Right, like physical, right, physical exam, is it necessary to add the ultrasound? So I got a yeah. question about uh, shock ed, which was in your bio, which is, uh, yeah. it, it's it's about your research series, uh, which shock ed is uh, an acronym for uh, sonography and hypertension and cardiac arrest in the ED. And so yeah. I just wanted you to, how did that impact your approach to uh, point of care ultrasound? Yeah, so that's a pretty, uh, I'll say it's, it's a well-read paper. People have called it an infamous paper, the, uh, the, the shock ED or the shock. We just called it the shock study um, that came out in Annals of Emergency Medicine <clears throat> less than a year ago. And uh, it was, so that's part of a series, as you pointed out, um, the, the, the shock series. And um, so first of all, I would say there's a group of international researchers and all of whom are actual um, fanatics, I would say. Not fanatics, that's not fair. They're practitioners of point of care ultrasound. They're proponents, they support it, they teach it, and they research it. And again, like the book, it's it's truly, uh, you know, it's representative across multiple nations, Canada, the States, mm-hmm. Africa, Europe. And so we, we um, have a series of papers focusing in on those two key areas, cardiac arrest, and hypotension. And, uh, but since you brought the, the sort of the big one up first, um, the, uh, it's a randomized control trial. Uh-huh. Um, and it was uh, the first true randomized control trial for point of care sound or sonography in hypotension that looked at um, outcomes such as mortality. And so, um, you know, I guess that's a, it's a big ask, isn't it? But in another sense, that's what you want to know. You want to know when this person in front of you with hypotension, they're critically ill, <clears throat> they're dying, essentially. The mortality rate in, this, in the series was over, was over a quarter, so over 25%. So there's a high risk of death here. Does, do I want to take this five to 10 minutes and do this scan? Is it, is it really going to help save their life? Right, right. So, so, uh, so this is a big question, and uh, no one really had answered that. We knew that from previous work by Jones that it can help narrow down your diagnosis. Uh, there's lots of algorithms out there. So you've got the Rush protocol. You've got the ACEs protocol. Um, and so we combined those two. So Rush and ACEs, which were really the two big ones that are cited in the literature, we combined those and made sure we had all components of those included. And, and we studied that in one group of patients. Um, and then the other group of patients got no ultrasound in their emergency department visit. 
Mm-hmm. So that was a bit controversial, I have to say. You know, getting that through ethics, the idea that you, you yeah. weren't allowed to do ultrasound. So that that took a while, and that actually made it hard to get centers to uh, to join in. As you may, as you probably know, a lot of most of the big centers now are really using point of care ultrasound widely. So to find places that would be prepared to not scan a patient who was critically ill was was tricky, and uh, even challenged our own thoughts about doing this study. And in the end, I think this really impacted the the quality of the study. So yes, I think it's a good study, but I think it has limitations. Um, And I'll start with the limitations, then briefly give you the outcome if you don't already know. So the limitations are we did not include patients who had a high clinical suspicion for aortic aneurysm. We did not include patients who had a high clinical suspicion for ruptured ectopic pregnancy. So in Mm -hmm. other words, a, a young pregnant female with a low blood pressure was excluded because we felt really ethically you have to do an ultrasound there. You have to do an ultrasound. Somebody who's got, uh, who's 65 years old with a blood pressure of, of 70 and with a, a tender belly or a pulsating mass, right? You, you can't just randomize that person to not get a key test. So that I think took away some of the potential to show that ultrasound would save lives. So that's why the title of the paper, and I think a lot of people miss this, we talk about in undifferentiated hypotension. So if you walk into the room and your clinical, first clinical assessment is telling you that this looks like it's um, hypovolemia due to bleeding because they're vomiting blood, there's blood coming out everywhere. Well, it's not undifferentiated. You know what's going on. If, if they, um, like I say, if their temperatures uh, in Celsius over 40 degrees, I don't know what, I guess that's 104 Fahrenheit, and, and they are tachycardic and sweating, and, and uh, yeah, well, of course, it's septic. So that, you know, those are not undifferentiated. So our real question was, when you don't know what's going on, when it's not clinically apparent, when it isn't clearly an aneurysm, an ectopic sepsis, et cetera, does ultrasound save lives? Does it help you with diagnosis? And, you know, I was a little disappointed. I'll be honest, really disappointed whenever our data came back saying that, like, ultrasound's really good. It is really good, but so is your clinical exam and all the other tests if you Mm. use those without ultrasound. So it's not that ultrasound made it worse. It didn't. But there just didn't seem to be any added benefit when you you used ultrasound over using all the other tests. Mm. And, hey, maybe that's just because you're dealing with, uh, like, these were... We're not dealing with um, physicians here who don't know what they're doing. You're, you're, you know, these are centers where people are trained in emergency medicine. Right. So yeah, they're get they're getting it right ninety three percent of the time anyway, diagnosis wise initially. So it's really sometimes hard to improve on that. Right. So that that's 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 where that study went. Now that's part of a series. It's not all bad news. The the series also um, we looked at cardiac arrest, and we actually have found in, in our SHOCK2 paper, which is about to come out, uh-huh. and, our shock, and our SHOCK3 paper, which is already published, so people can look for those, S-H-O-C-E-D, either two or three. Uh-huh. And um, so what do we look for there? Well, we, uh, we, and there's another one, a SHOCK ECG. So let's quickly go to that. Does EKG or ECG uh, predict cardiac 
um, activity in cardiac arrest? Well, all, the ACLS algorithm relies on it, right? So you always look at the algorithm. What's what's the ECG finding? What's the rhythm? Yeah, reciprocal changes and ST elevation, and okay. Yeah, and even just more so in, in yeah in cardiac arrest, you're looking for you know is there is there activity? Is there not? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, that in our study, we showed that that that's while it's good, it's it's only, it's not a hundred percent. It's maybe only eighty percent accurate. So. Huh. Um, in terms, whereas ultrasound will show you with a, with 100% accuracy whether the heart's still active or not, whether it's beating. So that's good. And we also then looked at whether there was a benefit of adding ultrasound to ECG. So this is something really... Uh, oh, I see. Other papers, I see. other papers have looked at, well, how good is ultrasound of predicting outcome, right? Is it How does it stand alone? Well, we said, well, everybody gets an ECG. They have an ECG rhythm. Is there a benefit from adding echo or point-of-care ultrasound um, during a cardiac arrest in terms of predicting who's going to die, who's going to survive. Mm. And there is, there's a clear benefit. You, um, you can, you can almost get to hundred percent accuracy of predicting bad outcomes if you use both ECG and ultrasound. So that's some, that's news and mm. that's out there. And, uh, in fact, then it led us to, um, at the same time in parallel, we were working on a systematic review, which was another international paper we did with, um, some folks from Chicago, Ottawa, um, and here and Laval in, in Quebec, and here in, in Dalhousie in the east coast of Canada, and we uh, we we published in Resuscitation just this year a systematic review of ultrasound and cardiac arrest, and again shows that the predictive value is is very useful. Um, but we got to be careful, and like I say, I always balance this out. You don't want to be stopping CPR for too long to be using ultrasound. So well, you might sure. see some predictive benefit. You don't want to harm the patient to do it. So mm-hmm. that's, that's another thing that we really are, are pointing out, both in the book and in the papers. Oh, that's fantastic. That's interesting. I have one sort of pedestrian question to ask you. Uh, yeah, sure. I've heard of Rush, and I've heard of Clue and EFAS. I had never heard of ACEs. You hadn't? Okay, well, I don't want to get into this whole big debate and argument, but if you want to look at the history mm-hmm. of these algorithms, just go on and you can Google it. You can look up the dates that we had a publication for ACES mm-hmm. and Russian. You can see which one came out first. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm, only, I'm just having a little, a little jest. They're a little jive at the, at the rush guys. They're good friends of mine. So hopefully they won't mind that. But uh, no, I, to be honest, I think, you know, if you go way back, there's a lot of people describing these protocols, right? So Jones described his and they just didn't give them names. So, um, and, and so in or around, I guess it was what, 10, 12 years ago, there's, there's uh, some of us started trying to give names to these and collate them. There's actually a really cool paper out there now that lists all of these. And I don't know how many there are now. There must be oh, wow. 15 or 20 of, 20 really? of these algorithms. <laughs> oh, and they're God. pretty much all, they're all the same with different names, right? Right. But listen, let me, let me swing that right around to another um, consensus paper that's out there, also from the International Federation of Emergency Medicine. Mm-hmm. So because there were all these algorithms, Rush, ACEs, UHP, uh, all of these different ones, feel, cause, all of these different ones for, for cardiac arrest, for, for, for hypotension, hmm. we put together a consensus paper to say, well, what are, the, what are the important parts of each of these, right? Not just based upon what somebody thinks, but based upon what's the prevalence or incidence of pathology. 
right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. what are the ones you really should be looking at if you want to pick up the bad stuff that you can do something about? So we took some of the data from our studies to look at, you know, what, what, are, what are the bad things that you find, like tamponade or aortic aneurysm or these type of things. Uh-huh. And we listed them and uh, put them in order. And we actually came out with this consensus document that, again, is international, has big names on it, people from, you know, it has, uh, has Vicky Noble on there, yes. Mike Lambert on there, has um, Bauer, again, from Australia, and some other some of his colleagues. It's got mm-hmm. the, the European guys are on there. I'm not, I shouldn't have even picked any names out without reading Mola. It's got Beatrice Hoffman from Harvard. There's lots and lots of people um, whose name is on the, this consensus document. And it, and it really just comes down to simple stuff. It's like, okay, in a cardiac arrest, focus on the heart, focus on one of the two simple views, the sub xiphoid or the parastern lung, and don't take too long to do it. Don't interrupt CPR for too long. Mm-hmm. If you then have some additional time, go and look at the lungs and the IVC. They might help you or go and do some of the additional cardiac views. And then there's the extra adjuncts that might be relevant depending on the situation, such as airway, so ET tube placement, um, line placement, so these other um, procedural type ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they don't have to be done every single time. Right. Um, It's what's going to help you. And then again, for hypotension, the three big areas where look at the heart, look at the lungs, and look at the IVC. Because that's what's going to give you the information about is this a is this cardiac versus non-cardiac type of, of hypotension uh, or shock types? Um, you know, are you dealing with somebody with left-sided, uh, high left-sided filling pressures? So you're looking at the lungs for B lines and fluid. Or what about the right-sided filling pressures? You're looking at the IVC in terms of its collapse in size, and do it lots of times. Repeat it and and look. And, and the other thing we came up with with this really cool acronym of the Fs, either three, four, or five Fs. So fluid, is there fluid around the heart? Tamponade, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so fluid, then form. What's the shape of the heart? Is it big? Is it small? Is it thick? Is it thin? Are the valves thickened? Are they thin? Then function, right? So then that's, that's about your, uh, is the wall thickening? Is the chamber contracting? Are the valves opening? So that's just all about your function. Um, I mentioned then flow is another F. So, you know, put some color on and have a look for the flow, either uh, in correct direction or, or back flow with, wow. with the Gurchitin valve. And then filling, as I mentioned, have a look at the lungs, have a look at the IVC and see is the heart. What's the filling pressure? So those five Fs really is a, it's a nice way to think about the, the approach to focus in, in cardiac arrest and more in shock, really. To, to, to really give you a, a handle quickly on some of the interventions and things you can do to, to turn things around. I really like that because that cuts across all these uh, procedural. You've got the fantastic fluid form, function, flow, and filling. That's great. Wow. Listen, uh, Dr. Atkinson, thank you for taking the time for today's show. And uh, we appreciate the audience also for listening in. So, so you guys know, you know, this is a point-of-care ultrasound for emergency medicine and resuscitation. A nice book edited by Paul Atkinson, Justin Bauer, Tim Harris, Bob Jarman, and David Lewis. This is a great book, and these are great things you've all been talking about. It's quite an honor to have you here, uh, Dr. Atkinson. 
Well, James, it's been a real pleasure. Um, you know, we're a little bit out of the way here in Eastern Canada. I'm glad that you're coming up to see us. I want to thank you for giving, us, giving me the time to talk about the book, some of our research, and to engage with your listeners. It's been a real pleasure. So for more POCUS Talk, you guys can follow us on uh, social media and Twitter at the POCUS Academy. All right. Thank you much. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye now. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, Focus on POCUS. Be sure to tune in with us next week for more interviews with thought leaders that are on the forefront of global point-of-care ultrasound. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.